Welcome back to Restorative Grief with Mandy Kate Part. You are listening to episode 16 titled, Where's My Damn Rule Book? with Debbie O'Day. We are diving into 2022 with a very tender subject, one that is close to my heart as well. This will be a vulnerable conversation about infertility and baby loss. So if you're not in a place to hear it right now, please feel free to skip this episode. Debbie is a mother of one who never made it earthside. So today we're talking about the difficulty of navigating such a loss in a world that has no rules or definitions or ideas about how to do so. Debbie is also a dear friend of mine, as well as one of the brilliant administrators who helps me to run the Restorative Grief Project on Facebook. For those of you unfamiliar with it, the Restorative Grief Project is a private online coaching group full of resources and gentle storytellers. Like this podcast, it was created as a soft landing space to fall apart with the promise of a platitude-free arena. We welcome the quiet and the talkative ones, those with a loss only days old, and those continuing to learn what grief means 40 years later. If you're in need of a community to simply observe what gentle movement through loss can look like, we would be honored to have you join us. You can find a link to the group in our show notes or simply search for the Restorative Grief Project on Facebook. But for now, let's get into our conversation with Debbie. Hi, Debbie. Welcome to Restorative Grief. I'm so glad you're here today. Hello. Thank you for having me. Absolutely. This is not something that we typically sit around and talk about with a lot of people, but that's one thing I love about you so much is that you have always been a general badass who is very happy to say what's on your mind and talk about uncomfortable things. I certainly have never been accused of not saying what I'm thinking. So, and actually (laughs) it's funny. This is a topic that you and I specifically do tend to sit around and talk about, I know. but in general, no, people do not generally know, but we do. That's absolutely right. So Debbie, you are, before we dive into everything, let's give our faithful listeners just an insight into who you are. You kind of led into the fact that you are one of my admins for the restorative grief project, but you you can tell the rest of the story. Um, so you and I have known each other for a while. Our families have known each other and and you and I ended up connecting well after our families already knew one another. Yes. The general sense of why aren't you two friends? You should be friends was ever present. (laughs) So then when I moved back to the Valley, we got to be friends, which was very lovely. And last year well I mean I think everybody can say that the last year has been craptastic in a lot of ways the last couple years in my personal life even pre-covid were a little on the rough side so uh this last year 2020 November 2020 yeah timelines are pretty pretty rough in the head right now November 2020 uh, was, remind me when you started the, when you pulled us in for beta group, we started the restorative grief project in December of 2020. I had, I had just planned, I'm going to launch this and I'm going to drag a few trusted people into it and test them out, test out this stuff on them. And it started at the end of the month, or I'm sorry, we started a smaller, let me try again. 
we launched the restorative grief project in January of 2021. But prior to that, there was a smaller group of about seven to 10 people of which you were a part that we were testing out the content to make sure I wasn't just, you know, making stuff up that would eventually wound people further. <laughs> Good clarification there. Okay. Mm -hmm. So let me back up a second then. Timelines are very hard in my head right now. So we had had, my husband and I had had a rough year and a half with health stuff, um, just kind of going through that. And one of the things we were dealing with was fertility issues. Um, that has, that's a lot of the root of why you and I connected after a couple of years, after years of trying and not being able to get pregnant, our doctors finally said, you know, let's, let's look a little deeper. Let's get into the nuts and bolts of this long story short, many, many rounds of fertility treatments. We finally got pregnant. Ironically enough, for those who are Southern Oregon residents, our first successful IUI, our only successful IUI happened to the morning of the Almeida fire. So like we had that doctor's appointment and then we started evacuating. So we thought that one was definitely not going to take because the level of stress yeah. surrounding that day and the days that followed. So it was a huge shock. Then a couple days later, a couple weeks later, excuse me, when we got a positive pregnancy test, that was right. kind of had written that one off which was really exciting because it was many years and many rounds of fertility treatments and it finally worked and still in the midst of lockdown and pandemic, really, you know, last, that was last September. So September, October. <clears throat> um, and we were really cautious with it because I'm older I'm officially geriatric <laughs> in the pregnancy world. That's a great feeling. Um, I have endometriosis. So there is a lot of factors and we were really, really private with it um, for obvious reasons, but it also made it easy to be private with it because we were all still pretty much quarantine lockdown. We were going to tell, we wanted to get to the 12 week mark before we started telling people, which would have lined up with Thanksgiving. And so we thought we will tell family. My parents already knew because um, we were living with them at the time. So we decided to tell family on Thanksgiving, make it a big joyous celebration. And that week before Thanksgiving is when I had gone in for my, I don't know, 11 and a half week ultrasound. I don't know if that's a thing, but I had <laughs> gone in for an ultrasound and no heartbeat. So that sucked. That sucked for so many reasons, but then especially going into the holiday season, there weren't many people who knew. So there weren't a lot of people for me initially to lean on. Mm -hmm. Although if we're being honest, I don't know if I would have wanted to, even if people had known. Mm -hmm. Here's one thing that I've learned about grief in this last, not just through the miscarriage, but through the health stuff that we were working through the couple of years prior for both me and my husband. 
when I'm really, really stressed for me personally, when I'm really, really stressed and things feel really heavy, one of my coping mechanisms is to really just try and power through. And this idea of like a stiff upper lip, like you right. were talking about on one of your previous episodes, yeah. <laughs> not necessarily being a virtue. That is very much my tactic where I have to, I don't know when I'm going to be ready to talk about it. And, you know, when you start to become vulnerable with people and you finally kind of lose it, the lack of control that I feared that I would have when I finally lost it. Um, so there weren't a lot of people we could lean on. I don't know if I wanted to lean on a lot of people Mm -hmm. and fertility. I have learned fertility issues or infertility is, and everybody says this after they go through a miscarriage, it's so much more common than you realize because it's not a thing that's talked about. Nobody wants to talk about miscarriages. They're sad and they're ugly. And if you haven't gone through one, I mean, hell, even if you have, but you don't know what to say to people, Mm. people don't know how to talk about it. So I started doing a lot of reading about miscarriage and infertility on a lot of Instagram pages. And that's how I started to kind of find some means of processing what was going on. And then it just felt like I had to do a big emotional purge. It was like, I cannot keep this inside. I don't even remember if I answered your original question. You're good. You, what you, one thing that you said that I really wanted you to talk more about too, is I know that holding back, you know, the way that you approach your own story and determination of when you want to start talking to people about it is one thing. Now that it's been over a year and I know that you've reintegrated into society by talking with people (laughs) and you guys just moved. And so you're reconnecting with friendships. And, but I also know that uh, in the midst of all that, your grief story is not on the shelf. If anything, you're being more bold and more direct and more honest about what you're going through and what you're carrying. How has that been received by people in your, in your family, in your friend circle? What is it about the way that your grief process has played out that you're finding to be challenging or interesting, or just in general that you feel, wow, I didn't expect this part of it. I think a lot of people have an idea of what grief is and, you know, that you talk about the five stages of grief, not you, but the royal you, the we, people talk about the five stages of grief and there is an idea that there is a set timeline for grief. I mean, you think about like in Judaism, you know, when you, for a a direct family member, who dies and you sit Shiva for seven days. And it's that idea of like, this is your time to grieve. And one rule that I held to think back to like in your twenties, when you were dating was rule that came from sex in the city. And when you break up with somebody, you have half as long as you are with the person to get over (laughs) them. So if you were with somebody for two years, you've got a year to get over them. If you were with somebody for two months, you better be over it after a month. Oh. And like, it's, you know, that's <laughs> exactly. But it's like those kinds of things that like, did I sure. actually think in the world, like in life, this, there is a time, a time set time, you know, I don't think that I consciously thought 
there is a set time period for grieving the end. Once I started feeling feelings, I realized that number one, it was not going to be as linear as I planned. Mm -hmm. I like rules. I work in financial aid. Before that, I worked in financial investigations in the military. I like rules. I like answers. I like being able to go to a handbook and say, okay, yep, confirmed. Which is not to say I'm not a spontaneous and fun person, but I do thrive with structure. If you could give me some boundaries for what exactly I need to be doing, that would be great. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. So I had an idea in my head of what, what this was going to look like. And I even had like then planned in my head. I said, okay, our due date was going to be end of May, beginning of June. I anticipate being sad around end of May, beginning of June. So I'd like sure. already planned in November. I'm thinking about, it's okay. I, I just have to know to like, maybe take some time off work around that. Big insights, by the way, super insightful. <laughs> uh, and it did not happen that way. It still is not happening that way. And mm. I, I grew very frustrated. There were definitely days where when I felt okay, I didn't feel okay about feeling okay. Mm. And I think this is something that you, when we were doing the beta group for restorative grief, grief project, one of the, one of the articles that we read through talked about shame mm-hmm. and it was, it was very helpful that you had helped me put that into words. And we talked about that, like the days mm. that I feel okay, I feel a lot of shame that I feel okay. It's still Mm. in the set period. I should still be feeling pretty crappy about this whole thing. Mm. And I don't know who put me on this set time period society. A lot of people were really, thankfully so, very gentle with me um, in checking in. And, you know, there's a tone of voice that people have when they're encroaching on something that might be sensitive. (laughs) I'm being very delicate right now. I need you to hear it. And that's beautiful. It's absolutely, it's a a verbal nonverbal. And when people would approach me with that question and it was a good day and I would say, oh, you know, I'm actually doing okay today in a normal tone of voice with normal facial expressions. I would see people react, like kind of have a, oh, oh, not in a way that said, oh, you're wrong, but people would be caught off guard when I said I was okay. But then, you know, you jump forward to like, I don't know, jump forward to February or March. And I'm sure there was something, I'm sure there was a baby food commercial. I'm sure there was something that just hit me in the wrong way at the wrong time. And then I'm having to message my boss and say, I'm really sorry. I need to take the rest of the afternoon off because I am now suddenly in a very bad place. She in her life had also experienced uh, pregnancy loss. So she yeah. had an understanding, but other people didn't necessarily understand. Why are you all of a sudden having a really bad day today? Like what happened? What, what happened today? And a lot of the times the answer is, I don't know. I'm just sad today or I'm mad. The residual anger caught me off guard. 
Mm. I didn't expect to have such strong anger reactions months and months <laughs> later. You mentioned that I'm certainly one who says what I'm thinking and the snark that I've had to rein in sometimes, the things that I just <laughs> want to roll off my tongue when people make a comment. Yeah. Somebody told me recently that they were, it's somebody, somebody in my life who I love dearly um, is expecting a baby next year. And they said, oh, we just took a long weekend for a little baby moon. And my, this is like this week too. So we're talking a year later now, <laughs> almost a year later. My initial reaction is you already got a pregnant. You also need a baby moon. Like God, can't you just be happy with the one? Oh no, you're so hard. And so, and I also want Mm. to acknowledge, I have a lot of friends who are parents. I acknowledge that the reality is once that baby comes, they are not getting a break for months at a time. So yes, hundred percent parents deserve that. Yeah. Yes. Parents deserve that. I do not want anybody to think that I'm minimizing that. But yeah. that was my initial gut reaction. God, well, you want to ask for more? <laughs> your initial response is honest and it's okay to have that. It's the recognition of, oh God, that is not just anger. What's under that? Because anger is secondary, right? We need, And we know that. That is, okay, wait, that's actually bitterness. I don't have to put this on my people who I love, who are just showing up and being honest. I can rein it in to myself and explore and recognize, Hey, that's a valid feeling too. It doesn't matter the time frame that it's been. There are no rules that I can't, I'm suddenly have to be in this absolute ready to celebrate. I can't tell you how many baby showers I skipped even in COVID, even before our miscarriage, because we miscarried nine months before you, I think, um, ours was not our, our infertility after our first daughter was born after it, all of it was just up and down. I probably skipped 90% of the baby showers that I was invited to and young kids birthday parties, because when it rises, whether it's a elation type of a emotion or a devastation emotion, mm-hmm. it's still the thing that needs to be addressed in that moment. It is mm-hmm. always going to deserve the time and attention that it takes. So the expectation around grief and the time frame of grief, I think I had, I, I mentioned, I planned to take time off of work. And I think mm-hmm. I did. I even put a date in, I put it on the calendar. And then that date rolled around actually pretty okay that day. So I think I took it anyway. This day Good off, girl. why not? Yes. Yeah. That's some self-care <laughs> right there. But I remember being kind of annoyed when that came up because like, you know, doing a check-in in my bosses. And I, you know, I, I remember you, you're out this day and like getting kind of annoyed with myself because again like god it happened in november are we Mm. are you really still are you still needing to feel big feelings about this my god Mm. i'm emotionally expressive but i would say much of the time if you're in my head if you're in my insides I'm far more emotional than people even realize. And I'm mm. usually annoyed with myself for the level of emotion that is simmering mm. underneath. Mm. I let I feelings are okay. Um, I have a great therapist. I believe strongly in therapy. My therapist <laughs> has been wonderful through all this, but I go, I get so annoyed with 
the big feelings that I will have in these moments where grief just like rolls up out of nowhere. It's like a sneaker wave. All all of a sudden you're just like, what is happening? Something that I've had to kind of work through and work on because if I just keep stuffing it and if I just keep going, okay, I shouldn't still be feeling this way. Certainly Mm -hmm. about this. I shouldn't still be fixated on this. I don't want to be that person whose identity becomes infertility and miscarriage, Hmm. but finding that the nuance between, is this my identity or do I just legitimately still have shit to work through because Mm. it's a big thing, right? That differentiation has been very difficult for me to make. And it's been through things like a good therapist Mm -hmm. through I know we're supposed to read your book in 30 days. Oh, no, you're not. That's what the, that intro flat out says, don't read my book in 30 days. If you don't need to, some people will, I have a friend that read it in a single day. Some people will read it over the course of a year or two years. It's, I think I've read some of the material Mm -hmm. and then before the book came out and then some of the material in restorative grief project. Yeah. And then getting the book physically. I've just hopped, I've hopped through it a lot. You know, you find what this is topical for the day and you find it. Um, It's been through a lot of those resources that I'm starting to get a handle on how to deal with this stuff, Mm -hmm. but I do it poorly. I handle it poorly. I I, (laughs) want to ask you something because I think it's really funny. You've kind of danced around it. This idea that there should be rules and guidelines to all of this. And even looking at different resources, which are necessary and we need resources and guidelines to help us. The revelation that comes is, okay, there are no rules. Why are there no rules? Why is this on me to figure out, even though we know that it's not fully on us to figure out on our own, but to speak to that piece of over-identifying with, is this my story now? Is this just what defines me? you know, traditional methodology or thoughts say this is complex or complicated grief is a disorder. I disagree. I think that grief is the same as life. It is ongoing. It is complex. It is nuanced. It is intermingled. And so learning to separate our identity from that can be very difficult when, like you said, these big annoying emotions come around and you are being highly critical of yourself and using that curse word, I consider still in the front of your thoughts toward yourself, toward the process, toward your healing, towards the loss. I think there's a lot of movement when we hear that word still, whether it's internal or external from another source and genuinely allow that word itself to become a check in our spirits, in our hearts, in our thoughts to say, wait a minute, I'm using the still language again, which means I'm trying to assign a time frame." probably because I'm annoyed and irritated that this is continuing when I would like to feel differently. And in those moments, what I have done for myself is paused and looked back at moments like you were having the day you took off from work and thought I expected to feel differently today and heavier, but I don't, I'm going to take this as a, a win. I'm going to celebrate that even though today I feel like I'm still grieving seriously, or this still sets me off on such a a tail 
spin. But I have these moments in my past that I can look to and celebrate. I can be grateful for recognizing I actually have come an incredibly long way down this path, down this. I have taken so much ground back in this loss that I thought was also lost to me. So I, I hear you being annoyed by all of the big emotions. And I just feel like it is worth celebrating that you have come so far and experienced so much. And that even through this ongoing loss and this ongoing reckoning with the things that you're carrying, I just think about the way you have dismantled grief expectations in people around you. And whether that's coworkers or your spouse or your family. Um, and I think that that's, we're getting close on our time here, but I think that that's a really great place. So I was curious if you would just share a little bit about that. How has your willingness to reckon with the lack of rules, the lack of um, framework on grief impacted your closest relationships? How has your willingness to go deep improved or derailed the relationships around you? (laughs) Well, you know, I was really, I was, like I said, I just, when I first put it out there in a moment that I felt incredibly isolated and alone, because let's be honest, something, a thing happens, a miscarriage happens, but a miscarriage as a noun might look the same on paper, but the way each individual person experiences that is going to very differently. I took comfort in all the people that reached out to say, hey, me too. Hey, I've been there. Hey, my husband and I have been there, you know, or even my, my male friends who reached out and said, I've been through that. The men who wanted to engage in this conversation, I was so pleased with, because one thing that I, this is a total, total, this is a total sidebar. Um, the number of people who wanted to check on me and ask how I was doing, the number of people who wanted to ask my husband, how was Debbie doing? And not saying, how are you doing? How is your husband doing? Um, was appalling to me. And I think at one point somebody asked him, hey, how is Debbie doing? And his in his mind, his initial reaction was, um, she's doing shitty. And also, so am I, thanks for asking, you know, mm-hmm. that, so, I mean, that's, if anybody takes anything away from this, yeah, <laughs> it is obviously traumatic as the woman who goes through it, but like, there's a lot of grief that the partner is also going to be dealing with. And please mm-hmm. don't ignore that and gloss over that humans mm-hmm. of the world ask how the man is doing or the partner is doing the non-pregnant person. Mm-hmm. Um, sorry. We'll you don't have that. to apologize. I'll get off that soapbox now and redirect it. Um, when I put that out there, fast forward a few months, I then had a very close friend reach out and she mm-hmm. texted me and just said, Hey, trigger warning. We found out we were pregnant in January. And today I found out I lost it and nobody knew I was pregnant. And I don't really want to talk about it, but I felt like I needed to tell you because you get it. And it was a heartbreaking text to get. It was, I started crying and I looked at Jeremy and I said, I just got this text message. And then he was crying and it was terrible, but I was so happy in that moment that I had made the decision to just be open with it because I knew in that moment, she was not 
completely isolated. She's still isolated in how that's going to impact her personally, but she knew immediately there was a person who got it. So for that reason alone, I'm glad that I've been just kind of pretty open with this. Mm -hmm. I put it out there. And then I do say like, I don't need everybody checking in on me and saying like, Hey, I saw you posted this. Are you okay? That's Mm -hmm. not the purpose. It's more just like, I'm just trying to normalize it. Yeah. Last weekend I was in New York city. Um, I went out there to visit a friend and we went to see a show and we went to see waitress Mm. main storyline in waitress is that Jenny is pregnant, right? I'm so excited to be there. Sarah Borellis is playing Jenna. It's the last weekend she's going to be doing it. Me Man. and this friend, we love Sarah Borellis. So we're mm-hmm. stoked. And halfway through the play, I get punched in the freaking gut with this thought. This time last year, I was pregnant. Should I have anticipated those feelings since I was watching a musical about a person who's pregnant? Like, I guess if you're looking backwards, maybe. It's not my identity. It's a thing that happened to me. Right. So we went out to dinner afterwards. It was me and her and then another friend and his girlfriend. I was meeting her for the first time and we're talking in there asking about the play. And I said, I say, I'm, an, I'm just going to go dark for a second here. I said, I, I always get emotional when I watch live productions. But I got especially emotional because I had this realization and I shared that with them and I did it. And I was like, well, this is kind of a mean thing to do because I'm just throwing this out there. Like, as we're sitting around eating, you know, pasta in little Italy yes. and my friend who I had gone to the show with went, Whoa, Oh my God. Are, oh my God. Like just the concern. Yeah. I didn't even put that together. And I said, well, neither did I until I was sitting there. Like, don't feel well, bad. It was too late. Yeah. Well, it was too late. And um, my other friend's girlfriend kind of said, "Ow, that's kind of heavy. Like, how are, how are you feeling? Not in a judgmental, that's kind of heavy, but just right. kind of a recognition. I don't think they yeah. expected me to make that statement. And honestly, a year ago, I would not have made that statement because I'd be right. doing the, the, you know, the mental gymnastics of how is this going to, am I going to really bring the mood down? Self-protection. Ruin the evening for yeah. everybody. And, but I thought, this is where, this is a moment that I had and it's, it's real. And I was having a lot of emotions during the second half of that show. And this is why. Mm-hmm. And then the night went on and the conversation went on and it was fine. And because again, it's the emotional purge because I yeah. just kind of got it out there and we had, I don't know, two minutes of conversation around it. And then, and then I redirected and I said, oh, and you know, then, and then we're back getting that out and just having that moment of I'm acknowledging these feelings that I'm having, I'm acknowledging that this came out of nowhere and had no business showing up on my weekend jet setting getaway to New York city. How dare you feelings? (laughs) I'm not going to stop them. I'm going to acknowledge them and we're going to have a little talk about it. And then I'm going to move on and look at this. I'm actually okay. Grief doesn't have to derail my entire weekend. Yep. It, it happened. I mean, that's, that's what it is, you know, like that, yeah, that's life. It happens. It's happening. Well, and that's and a sign that you are integrating, that you have taken an incredible amount of time and intention to, like you said, gather resources, create a framework internally so that when those moments arise, you recognize, no, there's value in being vulnerable right now, despite 
bringing the table down despite my, Hey, content warning friends, I'm about to get real serious. And then we can go on to our enjoying our lives because that is so relatable. It's that indication that we've grown around this knot in our stomachs. We have expanded and become larger in our own lives as opposed to just constantly trying to protect our small lives with a stiff arm to grief and saying, if I don't expose this emotion, I'll never have to feel it and I'll never feel bad ever again. And you and I both know that's not true. So I, I love to hear that despite having to reckon with it at a moment when you're like, no, 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 I would really just love to be carefree and lighthearted this whole time. There's so much more beauty, I think, especially for your friends to be able to hold that space for you. And I feel like to, to have the ability to put it out there when it's happening in the moment gives other people the permission to say grief can happen in a moment like this. Grief doesn't have to be this, you know, sit for seven days to mourn and then move on. It's not exactly, it's not a formula. It's not, it's going to pop up. It's going to pop up at dinner in little Italy and that's okay. You know, it doesn't have to be a thing. And I'm sure there's this, this, whatever this weird hang up I have about about this grief or this loss becoming my identity and wanting to mm. fight against that. Mm-hmm. I think what I have seen a lot as I have really engaged in the, the infertility world on the internet, mm-hmm. I've been very resistant to any kind of support groups because I see you step into some of these spaces and it's maybe the same people every single week who are mm-hmm. just, com- they're, they're in the grips of it externally processing, but repeating themselves in a way that isn't moving the needle for them. Yeah. And that, I, I see that and I get fearful because I think I don't want to get stuck in this. I don't want this mm. grief and this loss to become my identity. I still want to live life. I still want to have great moments. I still want to have fun weekends and trips and create new memories. Um, but, but also for me to remember that's, where this person is in their grief journey. Mm -hmm. And maybe in six months they won't be, but maybe this is what they need right now. The support group style doesn't necessarily work for me. Mm -hmm. I have found actually with the work that you have in like the restorative grief project, Mm -hmm. that kind of support group I can get behind because the shared thread there is grief. We can all identify with grief, but we're not over identifying with the point of that person's grief. Because mm-hmm. everybody in that group is something different. We've all right. come from different places, from different experiences. Yeah. And so that I find very comforting and very mm-hmm. helpful and useful. Different things work for different people, I guess yeah. is my point. Like for me, the fertility support groups did not, because yeah. I, I just, that I want to be able to move forward in life. But part of, for me, moving forward in life is also becoming more comfortable with grief popping up unexpectedly. And instead of trying to suppress it and ignore it and go, "Mm -mm, no, you're not supposed to be here. still. we are not supposed to be doing this. Just rolling with it. And embracing that spontaneity, that internal spontaneity that is in you, that is typically connected to joy and exciting adventures and travel and vacations. Actually, spontaneity can be beautiful attached to grief as well. I've had incredible moments with people that spontaneously open up and we have the time and the space to just embrace it and say, let's get after this. So, yeah. 
Debbie, I want to ask you one last question before we wrap up. If there is, of all these resources you've gathered, I know you value the work I'm doing too, but if there was another resource or another place that you would say, actually this specifically for miscarriage has been such a beautiful resource to me, where would you direct people? The, the, the space that I have found that I keep going back to time and time again is actually, it's an Instagram account, also a nonprofit called I was supposed to have a baby. It is actually a Jewish infertility community, or that's how it started. Mm -hmm. Um, So a lot of the work that the the lady who runs it is a psychiatrist. Mm -hmm. Um, A lot of what they talk about is centered on a lot of Judaism, like going through the high holy days in September, October, mm-hmm. they did a lot on how are, how are people doing with going to services? There's a lot. So there is a lot of very, um, Judaic specific content, mm-hmm. but she also connects with a wide range of people who talk about grief, who mm-hmm. talk about, it's not just fertility. She does bring in a lot of grief stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, she's on, it's on Instagram. I was supposed to have a baby. Okay. And I think the beauty of finding places like, like Instagram communities mm-hmm. is the ability to kind of float in and out as you need it. Mm-hmm. Again, the idea of not putting yourself on a, I'm going to take this seven week course mm-hmm. on miscarriage. It's like, I'm having a rough day. What's Amy throwing up over here when I was Mm -hmm. supposed to have a baby? Yeah. That's my, that's my plug because then she links all sorts of other good stuff. And it's (laughs) plethora, a plethora of resources. Perfect. Well, thank you for that. And for taking time out of your beautiful life to just embrace the, uh, disruption and the, embrace the suck, embrace the sucky side of life and loss and inviting people into your process and the grace that you have found for yourself in the midst of having to form your own framework, having to find out, okay, well, where are my edges? (laughs) Where are the edges sharp and how, and what can come along to help me soften them so that I can exist in my life without cutting people. I come too close to, I want to show up and share, but I don't want to you know, leave them bleeding in the aftermath of my emotional outburst or whatever. Just I don't want to Debbie Downer the place. I don't want to Debbie Downer. But you don't also need to be the one who brings the party all the time. Sometimes we're just existing and that has to be enough. And for the right people, it will be. So thank you. I love you, my friend. Thank you for listening to episode 16 of Restorative Grief. Pregnancy loss and fertility pain is not an easy conversation to hold, but as you can see, it is wildly necessary. Having a soft place to land with this type of loss means being free to move in and out of spaces that serve it, just as Debbie mentioned. I love the honesty and boldness she showed by sharing her story with her friends, even though the moment itself was not ripe for vulnerability. But the beauty of what transpired, and in such a short time, will hopefully inspire all of us to take the leap and be honest when we need to share our hearts and our hurts. Remember, the only way to move through grief is with intention. Thanks for listening. I'll see you next week.